Hello everyone, and welcome to You Have to Watch This. Uh, this is a podcast where me, Ted Ryan, and my co-host, Clayton Terry, discuss films that we have recommended to each other the week before. However, it's been two months <laughs> since we last recorded an episode of this podcast. So, we're back, we're better than ever, we're ready, and today we're here to discuss two films. Two animated films, indeed. We're sitting in your room right now. It is pitch black dark because it is very hot, <laughs> but yes. we can't run any fans. The weather forecasts say it's going to be 110 on Saturday, so yeah. looking forward to that. But I'm excited to get back into recording. It's been too long. Mm-hmm. So if we're a little rusty, if we don't know what we're doing, if this episode's only 20 minutes, those are the reasons for it. <laughs> this is the, the reboot. It's a soft reboot of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Right. <laughs> so you did the intro, Ted, which I believe means I flip the yes. coin. We have the ceremonial penny. Okay. And just as a reminder, T is for Ted and T is for Tails. Good catch. It is Tails. Tales. All right. So, the film that I would like to discuss first would be The Lion King. The specifically the original Lion King from 1990. Yeah, so quick introduction on this movie. Um it came out in 1994. Uh IMDb plot summary. A lion cub crown prince is tricked by a treacherous uncle into thinking he caused his father's death and flees into exile and despair only to learn in adulthood his identity and his responsibilities. I don't know if I would have read that if I knew it kind of spoils the <laughs> the like 20 minute mark, but I like to think most people have seen this movie before other than Ted who had not. Ted, what did you think? I enjoyed it. I did not see this film as a child, so I was going into it with kind of fresh eyes, and I thought it was very good. It was, um, the animation was fantastic. Um, the soundtrack, soundtrack was phenomenal. Amazing, yeah. Um, I think that's probably my favorite part of the film. The character designs were really fun. I think the writing was good in places, but weak in others. Uh, and overall, I wouldn't say I was fully captivated, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I am um, a little context for me. I grew up a huge Disney fan. Um, I rewatched all of these movies incessantly in terms of the Lion King movies to the point where I have memories from Lion King 2 and Lion King 2 and a half that I thought were in this movie and that I was kind of <laughs> waiting for, specifically the snail eating competition between Timon and Simba for all of you Lion King 2 and a half, two and a half fans. Um, so, all two and a half of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's about how many people probably saw that uh, direct-to-DVD movie. But yeah, I this is up up in the top three of my favorite animated movies of all time. Um, this was the one I got into when I was youngest, so it was very special to me. So it was nice sharing it with you, and I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I really didn't know what to expect going into it. All I knew was Scar kills the dad and yeah. Simba is the Lion King. We should say both of these movies are pretty simple and predictable given they're made for children. So I feel comfortable yeah. just kind of spoiling it all the way through for both. And I don't know if there's any children that are going to be listening to yeah. this podcast. So Yeah, and if you, if you watch like Witches, for example, you shouldn't watch necessarily for the plot you should watch for like the fun performances but we'll get there we'll get there mm -hmm. 
Yeah, just kind of running through some of the notes I have down for Lion King. You mentioned the soundtrack being your favorite part. I would agree that in the visuals um, really sold it for me. I feel like, so I was watching this movie, and you know with Disney movies, even the ones that are really beloved, there are some like stinkers <laughs> usually in the soundtrack. So um, the first one that comes to mind is Frozen. You got that troll song where they try and like hook up the blonde um, male protagonist with uh, Anna. You know what song I'm talking You're about. struggling to say this I, right I, I don't even remember anything about the troll song, but I remember that it exists. <laughs> but then you, you look at this movie's soundtrack, and literally every song is iconic. Because you have the opening, which I'm not going to imitate, but we all know. Mm -hmm. um, you have I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which is my favorite Disney song ever. <laughs> Up there with maybe um, How Far I'll Go from Mo Moana. Um, and I, I don't know why that song has just always stuck out to me as one of my favorites. You have, uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? You have Hakuna Matata. And then I guess Scar's song isn't as noticeable, but it's still like much more enjoyable than the B-list tracks of other Disney movies. One thing I really appreciated about these songs was that it felt like it was like, they all had a similar um, sound in, ter in, types, in terms of like the instruments used. So like they were like, in that way like cohesive but i felt like each song did a really great job of like showcasing the character at that point yeah you know like maybe scar's song was my favorite because of how like deliciously villainous yeah he is and yeah. how you know flamboyant and, and how much he's enjoying being evil you know mm -hmm. i think that was really good kind of separates like you know one for each character it kind of helps bolster the character development through the songs definitely i think like i just can't wait to be king is like the perfect like wishing your life away song and like not knowing what you have and yeah just like that's just my specific example but all the songs play into that mm -hmm. um like you're talking about of addressing where the characters are and specifically where simba is almost we're talking about the soundtrack of course and that is probably my favorite part of the movie, but like I said, a very close second is the visuals of this movie. It opens with that sunrise and that song kicks in, and that's like a truly iconic iconic image in itself, you know? And then you have the beautiful imagery of just like Zazu flying through the um, jungle as all the animals that would be the lion prey <laughs> come to worship <laughs> this new predator. Worship their destructor. Exactly. And that level of visualization just continues through the whole movie. It's gorgeous. And I don't detest the CG animation as much as a lot of people, but movies like this and Aladdin do really make me miss that hand-drawn aspect. I think for me, I did enjoy all of the animation in terms of like the way the characters moved and like how they occupied the frame. But I feel like I do have issues with the film on a more technical level. You know, all the animation is, of course, like, mastery and, you know, the top, top-level uh, talent at work. Uh, especially how all the animals move and how they're able to get, like, the... Give facial animation to non-human characters. You know, that's excellent. But one big problem I had with it is that, one, you have characters that have typically kind of, like, outlined characters. Out characters that are defined by a hard edge of a darker color. And then you have kind of the backgrounds are all kind of painted plates where there's kind of like 
it doesn't have this it's not rendered in the same way so at least from my perspective it was always throwing me off a little bit when like it didn't really feel like the characters were married to the backgrounds they inhabited because they were rendered in a different way mm-hmm. and second i felt that when the movie was like scenes during the night or specific weather conditions like the sunrise at the beginning beautiful and like the color is so strong and mm-hmm. vibrant but I think some of the daytime scenes, especially when Simba is a small lion mm-hmm. child. Uh, <laughs> the cub. <laughs> the colors, I feel like, are a bit more generic. I feel like it kind of is a bit more safe and yeah. a little lifeless. Interesting. I definitely, I can't really speak to the hard edge part because I don't know anything about art. Um, but I do kind of see what you're saying. It starts out like incredibly vibrant and then it moves more to a dull color palette probably until he meets up with um timon and pumbaa and then maybe the ending fight scene which happens at night in the rain um i like that yeah visually the strongest part definitely comes out in the beginning Mm -hmm. which maybe that's why that's such icon the most iconic imagery from the movie Mm -hmm. strong first impression yeah definitely uh and uh could we discuss the plot for a moment Sure. I think for me, the first half of the film was much stronger than the second half of the film. Mm-hmm. How long is this film? It's an hour and 28 minutes. It is very short. It's very short. So I think when Simba is a child and he's talking with James Earl Jones. <laughs> Mufasa. Mufasa. That's the film at its strongest, both in terms of dialogue and in terms of like just pacing. And I think Simba was more defined as a character. And then we have the time skip where he hangs out with Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I feel like when we return to him, we have like one scene where he's like, basically like refuses the call to adventure. And then he doesn't really seem that different than from when we've last seen him. And then I feel like after one scene, he's like, okay, I'll come back. And then the film ends. Yeah, I think to speak to like Simba's character, um, I think that's kind of the point. It's like he ran away as a kid and he grew up physically, but he never actually grew up. Like he hung out with these Timon and Pumbaa that are like those friends that are fun to hang out with, but that are like okay. irresponsible. Yeah, and like irresponsible and maybe bring out those tendencies in yourself. Um, so I think that's what they were leaning on. The switch. Um, that you're talking about is kind of ill-defined. Nala shows up, refuses the call to action. Um, they have sex, and then he goes. I'm pretty sure. Like it, we watched this movie a while ago, to be yeah. frank. Um, <laughs> but it's a short movie, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it plays out. It just like I felt like there was so much development of who he was in the first half, and then when we return to him, it feels like there there isn't additional uh, development. On top of that, it's just kind of like plot. Yeah, and now that you, you're talking, I actually remember he... It's not Nala, it's Rafiki that comes, the baboon, and gets him to look to the sky, and then he sees Mufasa and realizes that, like, the best parts of Mufasa are also in him. And then we have that scene of, like, the clouds, the stars talking to Simba, and Rafiki, like, hitting him over the head with his little uh, stick, and then, then he goes. So, I see what you're saying. It's not... That switch and who he is after that switch is not as well defined as before, but I think it still works for me. 
remembering that part of the film. Mm-hmm. That's why you need Lion King two and a half because then you get to see like teenage years where he has like a weird little like mohawk and he does the snail eating competition. Say no more. Next episode, we will be reviewing Lion King two and a half. <laughs> two, then two and a half. Two and a half is like Lion King one, but from the perspective of Timon and Pumbaa. What? Yeah, it's really funny. And it's called Lion King two and a half? Yeah, it should be called one and a half or just half. Interesting. Okay. But it, it's genuinely really fun in my memory. <laughs> A couple other points I wanted to make. So we talked about the opening of this film a couple times now. And I feel like a modern Disney movie would be like, Hey, I'm Simba. And this is my pride rock. That's me being born. And I feel like this Uh, movie's... Do you disagree? I disagree. I I think... I don't mean to cut you off, but... I, I think that storytelling lived and died in the early 2000s, you know, where it's like record scratch. Yeah. That's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up here. That's true. Maybe I'm thinking, like, maybe post-Disney Renaissance when there was that weird in-between when, like, right. we all agreed. Yeah, we all agreed that, like, Chicken Run was good. Um, Do we, though? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so I see what you're saying. I think, maybe neglecting that point, but in general, the movie's very patient. Um, especially in the beginning when they're developing Simba and they're just kind of moseying around uh, the kingdom. And I really like that stuff, and I don't think we see it as much in modern movies, in modern Disney movies. Like, patience that isn't filled with jokes and other stuff. And I love modern Disney movies, but just something I noticed. Well, speaking of modern Disney movies, this week, I believe, the Lion King remake is happening. Yeah, not happening is coming out mm-hmm. uh so maybe <laughs> maybe we will see a change in the priorities of the pacing yeah i mean it's 30 minutes longer i know there are one to two new songs so we'll see i mean i plan to see it i reviews aren't great <laughs> yeah. but um the cast that they got for this movie is enough to bring put my butt in a seat you know mm-hmm. i think in closing um The reason this movie is so unforgettable is because it comes out among this Disney renaissance of um, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and this are probably the three strongest in that era of like mid-80s to mid-90s. So it's always grouped with them, and then this one stands out among them because of the beautiful visuals and the great songs and whatnot. Um, I believe it's still to this day. The highest grossing G-rated movie of all time. Really? Yeah. Um, don't count me on that. It may have been beaten by a Toy Story, but I'm pretty sure I checked recently and it was still Lion King. This movie really cemented itself in history and is always ranked very high up on Disney of all time or animated of mm-hmm. all time or best of all time in general. And I personally think it deserves it after a rewatch. Yeah, I. it was all, all in all... Pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Glad you showed it to me. I'm glad as well. Which means we now have time. We now have time. We have a lot of time to do two <laughs> movies this podcast. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> we're now going to move into Witches. Ted, tell me a little bit about Witches and why you had me watch it. So, Witches is a 1990 film uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, R-O-E-G. Uh, it is an adaptation of a Roald Dahl book uh, of, the, of the same name, and the reason why I had you watch this is because uh, when I believe I was in third or fourth grade, 
Uh, my teacher was a lifetime uh, fan of Roald Dahl books, and we would, you know, in reading time or story time, whatever you want to call it, uh, she would read these books, and, you know, we, we read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, James and the Giant Peach, uh, the BFG, and Witches was by far, like, my favorite one. And I believe we watched Witches as well as the Gene Wilder, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Um, after reading them. And I... <laughs> I loved this film. Upon rewatching it, I enjoyed this film. Yeah. This was one of those I haven't I hadn't seen it in so many years, so in recommending it to you, I also wanted to rewatch it just to try and fill in the gaps of my memory. What I had remembered of it was a little boy comes to live with his grandma, uh, and she tells him a variety of stories of the dangers of witches that lurk in the shadows across all the countries of the world, preying on children and casting spells on them. And, you know, witches are out to eat and kill children, basically. The two of them go on a vacation, and sure enough, there is a uh, gathering of witches, and the boy ends up becoming a little mouse. And a little mouse and a grandma have to save the day against... A party of witches. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the coolest plot synopsis, I don't know what is. Yeah, I think we watch the movies together now. Um, In the beginning, we didn't do that. I think if this was one that we did in the beginning and I had to watch this alone, um, I don't, I think I would have actively disliked it. (laughs) (laughs) Ted is making me watch this Ted is wasting my time. (laughs) No, but we watched it together and it was really fun. I think (laughs) um, if you're looking for like a movie geared towards a younger audience that you may or may not have a nostalgia attached to. This one, which I'm sure we'll talk about, has enough silly stuff, enough awesome practical effects, and is short enough to where I think this is a really good one to like throw on with friends, like much like we did. Absolutely. You know, the main kind of, I guess, gimmick of the story is that the boy becomes a mouse. And so he has to think of how to save the, the day from the perspective of a mouse. And what I remember the film, like, the, when I watched the film as a child, I didn't really know anything about special effects. So I just accepted the mouses just were able to talk, you know? <laughs> yeah. But now re-watching it and seeing all the crazy practical effects, I was, like, blown away by the quality of some of them, you mm-hmm. know? And just the puppetry at hand by the Jim Henson Company is excellent. I believe this was the last film that Jim Henson person personally oversaw. Yeah. And the the training of the mice, you know, like whenever there's like a far shot or a medium shot, they have like real mice moving around and they do some pretty impressive stunt. This is the mo- like the greatest mice actors and actresses of all time. <laughs> I would even argue that the mouse playing the child is a better actor than the child (laughs) yes so this movie has several child actors several and not a single one is good in any way (laughs) and it's hard it's you're a child you're not supposed to be good at acting you're you're supposed to be good at being a child which i'm sure they are i'm sure they're great little 
rascals. But as actors, oh my god, it was hard to watch. <laughs> the, the, the main child, uh, I believe his name is Luke, when he's in human form... He has all these little mannerisms that are like, how did this make it to the final cut of the yeah. film? Like, <laughs> his mouth is always open. He always looks like he's forgetting his line. His glasses keep falling off. He runs very strange. Like, someone told him, like, don't run that way. And then he started running, like, the way he runs in the movie. And the director was just like, whatever. <laughs> we only have ten more minutes to do this. Yeah. We can't redo it. We only have this exterior area for, like, 30 more minutes. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and then that he is like he meets a friend, but like kind of a friend. Another child at yeah. the hotel. Children are just automatically friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. Um and that kid's better, but still annoying and weird. My father's rich, but he's tight. <laughs> but he's tight. <laughs> and then yeah, in the scenes that you were talking about in the beginning, there's some like little kids that get grabbed. And like every child in this movie, I was like, I am watching a child in a movie. <laughs> Yeah, none of them disappeared into the role. Yeah. <laughs> I demand higher quality children actors. Which, yeah, I mean, like, what do we expect? They're probably, like, they're not older than 10, I don't think, in this movie. Probably. The child performances leave a little bit to be desired. However, the adult performances, I thought, were entertaining the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angelica Houston plays the grand high witch, the, the villain of the film. And she plays, similar to Scar, a deliciously evil performance where she's, you know, using a, a German accent? Some Something like that, yeah. European accent, and she's twirling her fingers around and giggling and snarling and lighting other witches on fire. <laughs> and the grandma she, uh, of the main character, she gives a very endearing, heartwarming performance, you mm-hmm. know. She you she really makes you feel comfortable when she says comforting words. I believe her as a grandma. Definitely. You like just want her to like wrap you up in her arms, which is a really good way to like transport you into Max's POV is when you have this grandmother that's like caring for not only Matt his name's not Max. Luke. <laughs> so because he looks like one of my friends um, growing up. So now his name's Max permanently in my head. We'll just refer to him as Max. <laughs> Max or Luke. We're talking about the same bad child actor. Um, she just embraces Luke and she almost does that to the audience as well. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised by this, but Rowan Atkin... Yeah, Mr. Uh, Bean. Mr. Bean, he just shows up as the hotel manager. Yeah. And he just has a fun, rude adult performance. You know, snooty adult. And, uh, yeah, that was just a fun treat. None of the adult actors, and probably the child actors, no one in this movie looked like, oh, I'm just here for a paycheck. Everyone was like, okay, this movie's weird and wacky and fun and i'm gonna play it that way Mm -hmm. so like rowan atkinson's over the top angelica houston's over the top but like in a way that you really love to watch and that really resonates when you're younger right and i think because of like everyone's commitment to taking this like basically fairy tale seriously i think that really in my opinion makes it one of the better roll doll uh adaptations Mm -hmm. because um i think in terms of the other films of his work that have been made, I feel like they stray too far and too childlike or too serious or, you know, they, they do something tonally that I don't feel is right. And I feel like this is the one that is closest to the book. 
which is one of my favorite books that I read as a child. And like you talked about the fairy tale aspect of it. It does feel like a Brothers Grimm story before it's been like sanitized by like Disney or someone or like Goosebumps. Like terrible things happen. Yeah. Both to the good and bad people in the story. You know, like it doesn't hold back. Yeah. Like if you're this movie is geared for probably five to ten. And like if you're on the younger end of that spectrum, there's some stuff in here where it's probably like, ooh, that's like that's scary. But I think. Kids should have media that should scare them, you know? And just like most fairy tales, like, there are some genuine morals in this story. Like, uh, the biggest one, don't talk to strangers, you know? Like, Mm, the whole, the witches itself could be, you know, stranger danger. Uh, And just, you know, be kind and be good to one another, you Mm -hmm. know? And love love conquering evil, you know? And speaking about evil, the witches, of course, turn the kids into mice. But... The one thing that I remembered by far as a child was that the witches have a true face. Yeah. They have square feet because they don't have toes for some reason. Um, <laughs> Which that, is never like genuinely shown. Their shoes just like change sa- shape. Yeah. And it doesn't impact the plot at all. It's just a fun detail. They, uh, they have purple glowing eyes when you look at them close. Uh, and they basically wear like flesh masks that can be peeled off to reveal their grotesque forms mm-hmm. and man the special effects for the the grand high witch when she has her mask off is amazing like that a nose that like extends like a foot from her like mouth and just like it's like covered in all these little hairs and it's glistening with sweat and it's so nasty in an awesome way it looks amazing it's like much like how we dedicated most of the fly episode to like the practical effects in that this is similar where it's like sometimes when you're watching kids movies you think oh this is cool for a kid you know what i mean right that's just genuinely a really awesome effect that holds up well today you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i remember there was one shot where she's like taking off her mask and then someone knocks at the door and she's like oh god whatever and like is putting it on and then cut and then comes back and she's like angelica they they don't cut that's what they don't cut I didn't that catch that. She she has the flesh mask on and she presses it into her face, covering her face with her hands. And then she removes her hands and it's Angelica Houston. I don't know how they pulled that off, but it was really good. I was like, you you remember, I like stood yeah, up yeah. when that happened. It, the effects in this movie are just phenomenal. And like I said, that makes it worth throwing on with a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe showing to your little cousin, you know. Um, it's a lot of fun. Definitely. I'm glad I got to show it to you. And also, I'm glad I got to rewatch it. Because it, you know, it faded into the memory of my childhood. With, yeah. I forgot a ton of scenes, mm-hmm. you know. And I just wanted to... We don't have to go too deep into this if we don't want to. But I do want to make a note of my first uh, point that I wrote while watching the movie. In all caps, so many zooms, so many Dutch angles. <laughs> I think you said that this movie is like the most European movie. <laughs> yeah. Like it's aggressively European. <laughs> the main character is American and he's surrounded by Europeans and they have tea and they have mm-hmm. crumpets. And, you know, it's a fairy tale told at the beginning is like in a Dutch village. Yeah. I guess it very European. But fun. Again, that's another part that makes this movie fun. Right. 
And yeah, uh, do you have any closing statements besides that? Um, that was my main closing statement. I'm glad we seem to have both enjoyed right. both of these movies. And similarly, uh, just like The Lion King is getting a remake, there's a remake of The Witches in the works with Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. as the Grand High Witch. So I'm going to be seeing that. We should also note the movie's called The Witches, which we, we just refer to yeah. it as witches every time, but you'll be able to find it. Witches sounds better than The Witches. I absolutely agree. <laughs> it's also The Lion King and not Lion King. What? I'm pretty sure. What? This is new information. Yeah, they are both they both begin with The. Uh, that was the actual theme, is movies that begin with The uh, that shouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else? Uh, no, I think that is everything for me. So that brings us into what our topic is going to be two weeks from now, or two months from now. Who knows? Hopefully two weeks from now. We have suggested many different topics uh, in this hiatus, and I think what we decided on earlier was, rather than doing you have to watch this, we're going to be doing I have to watch this, where we look at each other's letterbox lists, which are linked below. Uh, and we pick a movie that the other person has seen, but you haven't seen. So, Clayton, what are you watching that I have? So, if we if this was our first category, um, a lot of the movies I may have picked we've already watched. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest comes to mind, Harakiri. But we've watched those. However, there are still, there's still a few in your repertoire that I'm dying to see. And the biggest one is The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Okay, all right. I've always wanted to see this movie, but it's long, so that's kind of a hurdle for me sometimes. I have a short <laughs> attention span. But recently, we've been playing a Genesis... Role-playing game. Yeah, set in the Wild West, where Ted's the DM, and I've also been playing Red Dead. So I've, I'm in that Western mood, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to dive into what's supposed to be the best Western of all time. I, I watched that film early on when I was getting into film, or my film phase in like sixth or seventh grade, and uh, I remember it really fondly, so I'm excited to revisit it. For me, the film that I would like to see from your list is Call Me By Your Name. <gasps> yes! I'm so excited to watch this movie! <laughs> I, uh, you've talked it, about it and brought it up in the past in various conversations, and... I'm interested, so. Awesome. These are going to be two very, very different conversations we have two weeks from now. We'll both tackle uh, gay romances in the <laughs> gay Wild ro- West, so. I guess maybe I know less about the get the bad and the ugly. <laughs> Strap in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I haven't watched this movie. I've only seen it once, and it was interrupted by a power outage because I Ooh. saw it in the middle of a snowstorm at, like, midnight on a weekday. <laughs> so, oh, I was completely alone in the theater. It was amazing. <laughs> That's scary. That's genuinely yeah. scary. So I'm really, I'm really excited to rewatch this movie with you. I think our next episode is going to be a lot of fun to record. Okay, cool. All right, our intro song is "Outro" by Wolfpack. You can find all of my artwork at these fine times on Instagram and Twitter. But I don't really use Twitter anymore, so <laughs> why bother? Uh, Clayton, is there anywhere that people can follow you? Yeah, uh, I'm not really on social media, but I have two other podcasts. 
One is called Stories Worth Sharing, where I interview different people who have interesting lives because everyone has an interesting life to tell. Ted is actually the most recent episode interviewing his professor, Chad Groman. Correct. We I got to talk to him before the semester ended back in May, and uh, it was a really fun conversation. We really got into the nitty-gritty details of the world of illustration. But also wasn't too inside baseball. Like, as someone who knows nothing about art, I still, like, was really able to latch on to your discussion on creativity and just like what it means to be an artist and how life influences your art. So I loved editing the conversation and I'm sure everyone will love listening to it. Thank you. Um, And then I have another podcast if you want to stick to movie related stuff that's called the Terry Talks Podcast. Uh, The most recent episode up is a Game of Thrones and Endgame comparison and how to successfully pull off something as difficult as a conclusion in storytelling. So that was a lot of fun to record. Probably one of my top, one of my favorite episodes I've ever gotten to record. So I would check both of those out. You can just Google my name, Clayton Terry, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And on that note, bye.